I like to read all kind of things. I read history a lot. I read really weird novels. I read science fiction sometimes. I like teenage books. Over the last few years, I've enjoyed reading The Hunger Games. I've actually read all three of them twice. They're a lot of fun. And, you know, once you get started and get sucked into that story, it's kind of hard to put down. And if you haven't read it yet, I'm sorry, because I'm going to just kind of spoil it for you today. The Hunger Games is set in this dystopian future where all the people of North America are divided up in these 12 kind of regions, and the one in the center rules it all. They're the true one percenters. They have all the money and all the power. And the other 11 are all kind of like slave colonies that produce various kinds of goods to support the whole, but they're under the complete control of the one in the center. And it's really not fair and it's not fun, but the people in the center have all the money and have all the power, and they have these police officers that look like stormtroopers, and if anybody does anything bad, they just kind of arrest you and you never get seen again. In order to keep this sense of peace and power and unity amongst their slave colonies, they have this thing that they call the Hunger Games, where once a year they select two people from each of these slave colonies to go to this place that they will create, this, this forum, and they have to all fight to the death. And the one surviving person in this cage match, as it were, gets to then live the rest of their life in luxury, but the others are, of course, dead. Well, as the saga begins in this book series, there's this one young woman who is uh, a really awesome character. Her name is Katniss. I don't know where they came up with that name, but Katniss is amazing. She's able to slip out of her little colony and go hunting out in the wild, and she's really good with a bow and arrow. And when it comes the day for selection, for the two from her colony to be called up to go to fight to the death, her baby sister gets drawn, and she volunteers to take her place. She does the unthinkable. She's willing to give her life to protect her baby sister. Well, as the saga goes on, she ends up, spoiler alert, she ends up surviving the Hunger Games, but not just her, also her boyfriend, and it kind of blows everything wide open because never has there been two winners of a Hunger Game before, but they do. And she becomes a folk hero. And so she now has this opportunity because there is this movement, this underground movement amongst all the slave colonies to try to have some kind of a rebellion so that they might have freedom in a new life. And Katniss has a choice Will she give herself now to this movement, now that she's saved herself and she's saved her sister and she's saved her boyfriend, will she now give herself even more completely away to save all the other people? Will she do it? And in what form will she do it? And so as the saga continues, she does give herself to this rebellion. And it's not a peaceful rebellion. It's open civil war. In the end, as she becomes the leader of this anti-government army, she finds herself in the capital city and she sees her sister killed, the one that she 
was willing to lay down her life for, killed by her own side in an effort to repress the capital side. She had given herself for this cause only to see that which she loved the most taken from her. And in that moment, she realizes that perhaps she'd gone about this revolution the wrong way. As Christians, we have a choice, and we always have had a choice. How is it that we are to live out our faith and our calling to reach the world and to claim the world for Jesus Christ? In the early years of Christianity, of course, Christians were the poor and powerless minority under the Roman Empire. They had no hope of becoming anything other than these little underground house churches. But as the message spread and as Christianity grew, sure enough, they became a majority of people. And in the 4th century, even the Roman Emperor Constantine came to accept Christianity for himself and his household and proclaimed that it would now become the religion of all the Roman Empire. So Christianity went from being an underground kind of religion, a religion that focused on peace and justice for all, to now becoming the, the religion that was in power, and it became the religion of oppression. As the Roman Empire faded, Christianity continued to spread. And by the Middle Ages, as Christianity had taken firm root throughout all of Europe, people with good intentions made bad decisions. And in the name of Christ, they decided that the Holy Land needed to be claimed for Christianity. And so they created all of these armies and they put crosses on their chests and on their um, shields. And they marched and they killed thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people in the name of Jesus. Don't you know Jesus was proud? All so they could say that some hunk of rock or some place on a map was theirs. They made a bad decision. Just like Katniss did. For in our faith, we are called, yes, to claim the world for Christ and to win the world for Christ, but we are never called to do it with violence, ever. Jesus Christ himself had all the power of God at his command, and yet when those who were against him came in the dark of night with torches and clubs and swords, he did not fight against them. When he was falsely accused and when he was beaten and stripped and crucified, he could have called down the angels of heaven with all of their power and he could have overthrown the powers of earth in an instant. But he didn't. We as Christians need never forget that. As we pick up the story in the book of Romans that we've been following throughout the summer, we see that Paul is seeking to teach that same understanding. That we as Christians are called to, yes, conquer the world for Christ and for God, but to do it through love and humility and peace 
and never by violence or hatred or arms. Paul has been seeking to unite the Christians together, Jews and Greeks and Gentiles, and now he's seeking to call them to come together in this new way. Paul says these are indeed the marks of a true Christian, someone who is passionate for God and passionate for Christ, someone who is truly on fire, on fire for Christ, but in the right way. He says, let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. These teachings from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome and indeed to all churches are to be the bedrock understanding of how we as Christians are to live and act in the world around us. We are supposed to be the peacemakers. We are supposed to be the humble, loving servants of God who transform the world not by sword or power or might, but by love and grace and mercy, by humility, by sacrifice, even self-sacrifice. It's contrary to everything that we think or know or everything that the world has taught us. For throughout the history of the world, might has made right. And those who have power have used power to keep power and to oppress others. But we as Christians are called to do something different to live our lives in ways that are contrary to the ways of the world, for we know that the ways of the world are evil. But the ways of God and the way of Christ is truly the way to righteousness and goodness and hope. Now this passage has some places in it that could cause difficulty. It says in verse 9, let love be genuine and hate what is evil. 
I mean, it's right there in black and white. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us that we should hate stuff. And we should hate what's evil. And, you know, we could, if we chose to, we could become like the Westboro Baptist Church, who seems to hate everybody and everything. We could name for ourselves what we think is evil, and we could become a people known for hate and intolerance, because it says in the Bible to hate what is evil. And what Westboro Church, their biggest mistake is, is that they put faces and people groups in the place of evil. And what we need to understand is that faces and people groups aren't evil. Now, you might disagree with me here, but that's just fine. I can live with it. When I was raising my children, I taught them that there is no such thing as bad guys and bad people. I said they're all people. Some of them do very bad things. Some of them do evil things. But they're not bad people. So we didn't talk about bad guys and good guys. We talk about people who made bad decisions and people who allowed evil to take over their lives. I believe that to the core of my soul. We need to transform our understanding, our worldview, so that we don't fall into the trap of the Westboro Baptists and say that this group of people or this type of people, that they're evil and we are allowed to hate them because the Bible says to. No, we don't ever, ever, ever hate people of any kind. No matter what they do, we don't ever hate people. We love people. Now, we might hate what they do, but we love them. That's the way of Jesus. That's the power of our faith, to transform the world not by sword, but by love. One of the groups that the Westboro folks seem to hate the most are folks in the LBGTQ community. They just hate those people. And I really do think that they perhaps they need to read all of the Bible and not just a few little passages. Because most people have this misunderstanding about God and folks of different sexual orientations. And it's based on a misinterpretation going all the way back to Genesis. When God caused fire and brimstone to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah, most people believe that that was a direct result of the fact that the people of Sodom wanted to have homosexual sex with God's angels. And from that wrong interpretation, even today in our state and every state in the Union, there are laws on the books, or at least there have been, against sodomy. Sodomy, which is considered to be homosexual sex between men. Anyway, well, let me tell you that that interpretation is completely wrong. Hear these words from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excessive food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. The Bible itself tells us that the sin of Sodom had nothing to do with sexuality. 
nothing. The sin of Sodom that brought the wrath of God was that they were rich and at ease and didn't care to take care of the poor and needy in their midst. That's what brought God's wrath. Should we hate people? Never. We should love people. And when we don't love people and we're not willing to share God's love with people and when we in our comfort and we in our plenty and we in our blessedness don't share our blessings with the poor and needy around us, guess what? We are the sodomites. We. We who want to protect our stuff and our finances and our riches, we're the sodomites according to the scripture. Be careful what you do with your hate. If you want to know what to hate, there's a description in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, it tells us what God hates. So if you want to know what you're allowed to hate as a believer in God, this is a pretty good place to start. Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, the feet that hurry and run to evil, a lying witness who testifies falsely, and one who sows discord in a family. Now, if you want to know what to hate, hate those things. That's what God hates. Don't hate people. Don't hate people. You see, when we allow ourselves to hate people of any kind or any kind of people group or other religion or whatever, that allows us to then justify all kinds of other evil. It allows us to justify killing and war and all kinds of terrible, destructive things to God's creation. But God doesn't want that. And in the end, when we give ourselves over, when we allow ourselves to be caught on fire with this passionate zeal and a hatred toward a group of people. It leads only to greater evil. And in the end, we ourselves might see that that which we love the most will be taken from us in a world where evil has been let loose. Just like Katniss allowed herself to become the face of an armed revolution, in the end she saw her, her sister die at the hands of the revolution. So we, in our efforts to be people who are on fire with a passion for God, need to understand that our fire needs to call us to live our lives differently. Now, I have confessed to you that I am a football fan, and I'm not ashamed of that. And when I read this passage from Romans, I think of it as Paul giving his team, the Christian team, that pregame speech. You've seen coaches, right? You've seen it in the movies or on TV shows, or sometimes they let them in the locker room in a real game, and coaches give their team that pregame speech to get them all fired up to go out there and to do what's right. That's the way I hear this for me and for us. And so hear it again. Here's Coach Paul. You're the team. We are. And he's trying his best to get you fired up to go out those doors and into the world and to live your life for Christ the right way. Team, this is what we're going to do. 
We are going to let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, not people, but evil ideas and evil actions. Hate it, hate it, hate it, but love the people. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Seek to outdo one another only in this, in showing honor to God and to each other. Don't let your zeal down. Keep it up. Be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord in everything that you do. You're going to suffer out there. But be patient. Persevere in your prayers. And never, ever forget to contribute to the needs of the saints. You're going to meet strangers. Some of them might scare you. It's your job to be hospitable to them. It's your job to make sure their needs are met and to know that they are loved. Some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to persecute you. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to bless them. You're not going to curse them because that doesn't do any good. You're going to bless them. And you're going to make friends with them. You are going to go out there and rejoice with people when they're rejoicing. And through the empathy that God will give you, you're going to weep with others when they're weeping. You're going to go out there and you're going to live in harmony with all people. You aren't going to have any enemies. They might see you as one, but you're going to see everybody as your neighbor and everybody as your friend or your potential friend. Go out there and associate not just with the pretty people, not just with the rich people, not just with the people who look like you, but go out there and find the lowliest people that you can find. Make friends with them. Show love to them. And when evil comes your way, never repay evil with evil, but always repay evil with good, for that is what's going to transform this world. And that's what we are called to do. Never seek vengeance for yourselves, but trust in God and allow God's vengeance to bring justice for all. Finally, as you go out from this place, know this. Do not let evil overcome you. Because once you do, what hope will there be for the good? Now let's go out there and win one for Christ. This is the word of the Lord for us today. It's a word of power. It's a word of hope. It's a word from Paul to us that is intended to help our hearts catch on fire with a passion for God and a passion for Christ and a passion for true Christianity. I hope that we can hear it and I hope that we can live it. In the name of the Father 
and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you are able, won't you stand with me now and join in affirming our faith together through the Apostles' Creed. <clears throat> 